Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with a 50% Manchurian Peninsula podcast, at least until we get uh, the old school Tom Pestek on, who's going to be joining us later in the podcast. But Elijah Kim and Chris Francis, my uh, my Korean brothers, are here, and we're going to talk some Cavs basketball. A lot of news shaking out as we head towards the draft and free agency coming this summer, and the... Uh, conference finals kind of wind down but there was a big feeder article that dropped was it today chris i believe so uh i was awoken by eli as a matter of fact uh <laughs> letting us know <laughs> the group chat so nice. i think it was today yeah that it, it, and i think it was a podcast if i'm not mistaken so i'm just gonna throw it to you to kind of summarize it a little bit because there I mean, was a lot there's, there there's yeah. a lot coming from the desk of Kobe Altman through the pen of Chris Fedor. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this was a hour-long conversation on the Cavs, and they left no stone unturned. Um, first up would be um, the reaction to Colin Sexton's restricted free agency market. So apparently word from Fedor is that the the sides have kind of staked their ground on a future contract with Colin Sexton. The team is looking in the range of 15 to 18 million per year, whereas Colin's people are looking somewhere north of that around 18 to 22 annually per year. So um, there's uh, so the the lines have been drawn as far as where the money's where where each of the parties are at with respect to money. Um, Fedor also shares that they believe the Cavs believe that uh, that the real threat to sign Sexton in the free agent mark in the free agent market would be the Detroit Pistons. 
So he, it seems like that the Detroit Pistons are very interested in signing, uh, uh, Sexton as a free agent. Um, that seems to be their main competition. Um, the Cavs feel like they're in a position of strength, obviously, because, you know, there's very, most teams are capped out. Very few teams, very few contenders, uh, have cap space. So just kind of, uh, you know, that's, that seems to be the lay of the land. So, um, I, I'll throw it to you guys as far as your reactions to the news. Yeah. And I'll just throw a little bit on top of that from, uh, hoops hype is, uh, Chris Scotto, or I'm sorry, Michael Scotto. I can't believe that's a real name, but uh, <laughs> it says uh, that the Cavs want to retain Colin Sexton, but he want, he's going to demand uh, starting money. And hold on one second. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, so Michael Scotto, uh, some teams will be in the market for the point guard, uh, Knicks, Washington Wizards, um, who would have to get him in a sign in trade. Um, and the, the, his rumor was one executive told me, I think Cleveland will extend the qualifying offer and look to match any offer. Um, but that Cleveland will eventually use Sexton as a trade asset. Um, so, you know, take that also with a grain of salt, which, uh, came out, you know, shortly after Chris Fedor, but I would put a lot more stock in the Fedor article. Um, my take on it is that they'll probably meet in the middle, but it may take a while for, uh, you know, Clutch to try and drum up another offer. Um, I don't think they have a lot of leverage with him coming off an injury. I think that makes it difficult for the Cavs. So I don't know. What do you think, Eli? Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting part is they also mentioned how at the very tail end they were talking Bogdan Bogdanovich money, which was about eighteen million a year. So, I think the Cavs are correct. They have all the leverage in this scenario. So, the interesting point that I think you know Chris is going to get to is that both, uh, well, actually, Michael Scotto. Uh, yeah, I also can't believe that's a real name, but um, that he believes that the Cavs are going to do this and eventually flip Colin Sexton anyway. But Fedor did not like refute that and he was kind of like yeah i can see that happening so i don't think sexton is in the long-term plans and even you know fedor acknowledged that if we had to you know put the hierarchy of the Cavs' development and who's the most important column would at least be fourth probably at this juncture and i mean i don't think that's offensive to say that at all given that you have Mobley, obviously, Jared Allen, and Darius Garland clearly ahead of them. So um, it was just some interesting tidbits, and hopefully it's paints a more realistic picture on what to expect for the future of Colin Sexton in Cleveland. Very, very nicely put, Eli. Um, anything, any personal feeling on all that, Chris? Francis? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's such a weird situation. Uh, with Sexton just because there's these things that make you believe that he could be, you know, a potential star. There's things that would lead you to believe that he's not long for the league as a, as a no defense, no passing microwave scorer um, that brings little else. And it's just so it's, it's an interesting situation for the Cavs because 
they're not a they're not a cap space team. They're not a free agent destination. So it, you know, as you know, as Kobe has talked about building a team, you know, they are prioritizing prioritizing guys that are willing to sign long term deals with the Cavs and are in it for the long haul. And it, from all indications, that's something that Sexton has been on board with. Um, interestingly enough, um, so and also Sexton, I think represents the uh, an avenue for the ceiling for the Cavs to get higher in terms of his scoring, in terms of his development. So it's just a really convoluted situation where, like, there's, you know, if we wanted to deal in cold hard facts, I mean, you know, I would say that there's no way that they should sign him for $18 million. That seems kind of ridiculous, you know, if they're slotting him as, like, a backup point guard, for instance. Um, paying him 18 mil over the course of, you know, three, four, five years doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's hard to make of the situation, if, to be honest with you. It's just, you know, there was that report earlier about, um, there was a report earlier, supposedly, I think, was it Evan Dameral of, Facebook news or whatever that said that the Cavs wanted to make an offer that he couldn't refuse and they don't even want to let him get to the free agent market. So, you know, it's just, it's so weird how we've heard all this wide range of possibilities with sex and that we just can't possibly, it'll affect so many things. It'll just the cascading effect of it uh, is just, uh, you know, the reason why we keep on talking about Sexton, honestly, is, is just that, there's all these options that open up or close down depending on what move they make with him. Let's talk about Sexton. Let's talk about you <laughs> and me. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was good. <laughs> Throwing it back there. Yeah. Just, just getting a little old school. Um, yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, obviously the thing that we've come to discover in the weeks leading up to the draft and free agency is there are more there's more news than there are things that can actually happen in the NBA. And, you know, we've got 20 guys slotted to go in the lottery right now. And it's kind of the same thing with Colin Sexton of all these things going on. And um, we'll, we'll talk about the draft in a bit. I wanted to talk about the other uh, storyline that was kind of in the news in the last few days. And again, it is our it's it's not Jim Halperto, it's Michael Scotto, and he says my sources tell me there's mutual interest in Ricky Rubio reunion, uh, and that a lot of people are penciling him in, him in, but that there's a lot of variables. Um, you know, how is he going to be coming off second ACL? You're not going to be able to play him till midway through the season. Um, you know, plus he will be 34, 35. Um, you know, what kind of salary is he going to want? Um, I think that's really interesting. You know, part of me thinks maybe what the Cavs do is do like a two year deal with a, you know, on a vet minimum, but with a, uh, with a one year opt out so that he could opt out and come back next year at a higher salary if he plays well, um, or something along those lines. And then with that, they can go get a player for their full mid level. Uh, or a couple players. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about Ricky Rubio? You think he's back as a Cav, and are they going to use his mid range exception, or the mid range exception? I guess. And I'll throw it to you, Eli. 
I think they are going to re-sign Rubio. Um, but I do think that as the conversation went further along, it's not out of the question that the Cavs might use that mid-level exception for someone theoretically a better fit. Um, uh, we, I mean, just the kind of, I guess, spoilers, but later they do talk about free agent. Uh, and one of the free agent names, obviously, is Tyus Jones, who might have outplayed that mid-level slot. But, you know, I think those are the types of players that the Cavs are thinking about and waiting on uh, how to spend that mid-level money. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, when we come back after the break, uh, we'll definitely talk about the the trade and free agent targets that we saw in that article. And um, but I'm gonna, I want to kind of get your take on as our resident, uh, you know, Rubio Stan, um, uh, our, our resident fan of of uh, Barcelonian Jesus, uh, Chris Francis. What do you what do you <laughs> what do you think of all that? I mean, please come home, Rubio, <laughs> is what I think, you know, above all, for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, th- it seems like the Cavs, at least if we if we go back and looking at last year's roster, there was obviously throwaway roster slots that they wanted for vets who didn't play at all, virtually at all, uh, looking at you, Ed Davis. Um, so... I mean, Rubio has a role. Uh, I think the the wrench in the equation is, as uh, as everybody knows and everybody's alluded to, like how healthy is he going to be? He's not even going to be able. I, I can't see him doing basketball activities until January. You know, um, being you know, it takes usually it's always been the rule is a full year for an ACL injury. Um, so well, uh, I, I mean, we've seen guys come back in like ten months, but usually those are younger guys that are right, you know. And anymore, people are a lot more cautious with that anyway. But yeah, yeah I'm I'm with right. you. I think before January is is you know it's, wildly it's hopeful. Un- that's hopeful. I think it's wildly unrealistic. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you. Let's not uh, let's not understate it. Totally. Yeah, and, I mean. Uh, as, as yeah. lousy as this Cavs training staff has been for the last three years, they're not that terrible. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, the the thing that, you know, with Eli bringing up the mid-level exception, I think, I mean, if you, just, you guys kind of got my wheels turning, you know, I think there's a possibility if they if they really want Rubio back that badly, um, it's, it's kind of hard to see how – it makes it seem to me like almost like Sexton's less likely to come back if that's the scenario, you know, cause they're going to need to go out and get somebody. I mean, if Sexton's not eating up the, the point guard minutes, who is, you know, they've got to, you know, they made a serious investment last off season with Rubio in the first place. You know, they traded their only wing, you know, their only pseudo wing guy in uh Tayshaun, or I'm sorry, Tarian Prince. Uh, you know, and uh, traded the pick, I think, too. Um, so, and and they were willing to take on almost twenty million of Rubio's salary. So they made a serious investment. I can't see. I mean, they need to make another serious investment in the backup point guard position. And so, uh, you know, that kind of we're kind of back into the cycle of you know where does that leave Colin Sexton? You know, it seems like Colin Sexton's on the outs if if Rubio's in. You know, that's that's just my initial thought. I, I think there's too many variables to rule out Sexton right now. Um, the beauty of the situation is that um, 
if Rubio comes back in like January and he's playing really well and Sexton's minutes are going down, well, guess what's right around the corner is the trade deadline. So, <laughs> right. And it's not like uh, Sexton's going to be a base year compensation player like he would have been last year if they'd have extended him. So, um, I, I think it makes the math a little bit easier. And uh, with that, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we'll talk uh, some trade and free agency rumors. So stay tuned. Uh, welcome back to Cavs of the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Chris Francis and Eli Kim. And we're talking Cavs and free agency and rumors. And uh, one rumor, well, there's a lot of names thrown around in that Fedor article. So let's talk about, you know, before we get into free agency, let's talk about the trade targets that were mentioned because i i got some thoughts that i want to lay on you (laughs) chris you want to go through those trade targets uh well there's i mean there's so many targets it depends i think you know probably what's easier to talk about is you know they how it seems like kevin love and karis lavert are the trade carrots that seem to be the trade carrots that that is that are assumed around the league, as well as with Fedor himself. Um, and in relation to Fedor, uh, in relation to Love and Karis, um, here was the names that were linked uh, as possible trade targets. Um, we have Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, Tobias Harris, Harrison Barnes. Um, in relation to um, in relation to love, uh, also we got Gordon Hayward, uh, Gary Trent Jr., Jeremy Grant, Aaron Gordon, Andrew Wiggins. Uh, so we've got a plethora, and, well, a and, variety of these. And throw out yeah, the other ahead. one, uh, Mike Conley was the other yes, one. Yeah, uh, yes, it, Mike Conley as well. And so there's all sorts of names, all sorts of situations, and so uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, but I think one thing that's safe to say is a lot of those names are obviously wing players. So outside of Conley, we're we're talking about a lot of veteran wing players that they think might help uh, fit in at that small forward, uh, you know, shooting cards, small forward spot. Um, So which of those, you know, I think we should just uh, why don't you just start uh, throwing us out names and then uh, I think we should all weigh in on whether, A, that's realistic, and B, kind of what it would take to get that guy. Because that's where I have a lot of thoughts. So you want to you well, take us through the list? or you I, got I think the big one. things you want to cover? Well, I think the big one, let's start off with Gordon Hayward. Because I think that seems to be what everybody thinks is the most reasonable. Um most reasonable guy to target because the reason the thinking behind, I guess with Fedor and Scotto is that they've got to pay miles bridges. Um, they royally screwed up that situation, I guess last off season, he balled out this season. I can't see a situation where that he's not requesting the max. Um, and I would assume that Charlotte would have to pay the max uh, you know, but who knows, you know, with, with Cupjack and MJ up, uh, down there in, in Charlotte, but, uh, he seems to be the most reasonable target. So I, what do you got, what's your guys take on Gordon Hayward to start off with? I would do it. I mean, I think Speedor talked about it a lot too. Like Michael Scotto thought that the Kevin Love contract was an interesting point. 
but I think Fedor actually was interested in countering with Colin Sexton in a sign and trade because Charlotte, you know, they didn't go in the luxury tax for Kemba Walker. So to think that they would go to the luxury tax for Miles Bridges doesn't seem like in their MO for me. Um, and actually, Colin would kind of fit with LaMelo Ball as a backcourt mate. The only drawback is that they already have, uh, you know, Rozier on that team too. So, um, I just oh my that. lord! I would love Miles Bridges <laughs> on the Cavs. That would be so awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's not. I don't think that's what they were saying. I think they were more saying that they had to get rid of Kaywards number oh, and yeah, shed okay. some salary in that deal for sure. Um, I think if the Cavs could somehow get Miles Bridges, that's the deal you go all in for and give up, you know, multiple firsts for because that he would fit in perfectly in that spot and solidify the young core for the, the Cavaliers for a long time if they were to do a move like that. To me, the Gordon Hayward, going back to Miles Bridges, would you guys give up? I, what's interesting is from the Fedor article, it's clear that, it, see, here's what's impossible for me to reconcile with regard to targeting any wing or you know whatever that, um, that Fedor was talking about is that if you want to get a legit wing, say like a Miles Bridges, you've got to give up one of the core pieces, being Darius Garland, uh, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. Like, do you guys, in, and that's what I was wondering to you guys, is that for Miles Bridges, do you give up one of those three to get a guy like Miles Bridges? Because that's really the only logical way and reasonable way they're actually going to get a wing of Mile Bridges caliber age, you know, production, yada, yada, yada. I, I don't think you do because, you know, you've got all-stars that want to be here. Um, you don't trade that for a trade target, you know, and the Cavs identity is really built around this Twin Towers situation. Um, I I don't think, I'm kind of with Eli, I think the Miles Bridges thing is a, is a little bit unrealistic. And to be honest, if... The, uh, the Hornets really were going to trade like a Miles Bridges. Um, I, I would much more think that the, we would see like a Rudy Gobert, um, than we would see a, uh, trade with the Cavs. That's just me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So as, as far as, as far as Gordon Hayward's concerned, uh, you know, I, it's, it's hard for me to get on board a guy that's that old with that kind of injury history. Yeah, I'm with you. I I don't I I think it's a the Cavs are in a position where they want to take calculated risks, but you know, my biggest issue with them over the last 3 years is kind of how all over the place their training staff and load and player management has been and I don't see a situation with a guy like that ending well. Yeah, I mean, it I think with Gordon Hayward, like I feel like you'd have to manage him in a similar way to love love how Love got managed this season, which is he comes off the bench and is limited in minutes. You know, you you're limiting him to 20 to 25 a night. You know, cuz I mean, Gordon Hayward's now how old is he? Hot googling action underway. He's, you know, 32 going on 33 next year. You know, uh, that's that's pretty old. You and know? he's I mean, got I how many years left on his contract? Two or three? He has two. Question. He has two. Okay. okay. Yeah. 
So that I mean that's not that bad. So I mean, yeah. So the the contract runs through his usefulness, I would guess, as a, or as a or through his health as an NBA player, a good NBA player. But I mean, we already might be already past that point where he's an effective NBA player. You know, we he couldn't stay healthy for a team that needed him this past season. So I, I've just you know, and then if we're talking about trading a guy like what if we're talking about trading a guy like Karis or we're talking about tra- trading a guy like Sexton, Sexton's 24 years old. Karras is 27 years old. We're getting older. <laughs> we're getting older, and I'm not sure we're, we're, we're uh, capping the ceiling on the team, and I'm not sure that Gordon Hayward's getting better as he ages. He's going to get worse. So it's hard for me to get on board. It's just yeah, – I, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I think – if I'm the Cavs, the only way I'm taking on longer term than one year money for an older guy is moving out Kevin Love. Um, I'm not giving away a young player on a team that has, you know, a several year window uh, at this point for, you know, a guy that has a one or two year window. So, yeah, and I'm not a Gordon Hayward fan. I I think he's kind of washed i mean i think he's more washed than kevin love at this point so who was unplayable in the playoffs and i'm not sure you can play gordon hayward in the playoffs anymore so tom uh get give me your pete gordon hayward thoughts or do you even remember who he is at this point (laughs) he almost hit the greatest shot in basketball history he missed it that is true (laughs) yeah let's go duke um no i remember because yeah, but it was, it was against Duke. Well, um, yeah, it was against Duke. I'm, a, I'm a, you know, so it was a good shot for me. Well, just mute yourself then if you're a Duke fan. But um, <laughs> yeah, as a Wright State uh, alumnus, I, you know, familiar, very familiar with Butler from back when they were in the Horizon League. They were kind of the the only elite team before they left um, the Horizon League. So I saw Gordon or Gordon Hayward play, um, and honestly, I. I've never been a fan of his game in the NBA. I feel like he's a guy, at least I haven't, you know, paid close attention to him recently, but when he came into the league, he was sort of a, uh, you know, needs the ball in his hands to be effective, uh, multi-tooled kind of player. And um, I kind of agree with everything that's been said, you know, a guy like that 32, if he's a sniper or, if he does a you know one thing really well, then it can you know possibly be a difference maker on your team. But I'm not sure what he does that's elite, and um, I just don't think he's going to move the needle too much. I, I would, I think I would rather roll with Levert, who's like you said five years younger, who I think has a little more upside than uh, than go after Hayward. What's the what's the advantage? Like what's the the draw. What's the pro for Hayward? Is he? Does he? He's still just kind of. He's fill up, he's multi skilled. He's, he's 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 a wing scorer, which he can't yeah, have. Yeah, and and I think he's multi. I mean, he's versatile. Like he's going to be able to switch on the perimeter um, and use his length on defense. Um, he's a solid passer, solid shooter. Um, gets to the line uh, fairly can frequently. Score in the half court. Yep. You and know, you so, can run curl sets and that kind of thing for him. Yeah. downs. So I think it's just uh, he's a. So of, he's those, a guy. of those skills, what does he do demonstrably better than Karis Levert? 
or Chetty Osman for that, or Dylan Windler. <laughs> I, I don't maybe more efficient of a score, slightly yeah. more efficient okay. score. Yeah. Okay. That, that's is he a better three point shooter than Levert? Slightly. No, slightly. I think it, I would say yes. Levert is wildly inconsistent, and um, that's true. You know, uh, Hayward is 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 a knockdown three pointer. I mean, shooter. I mean, he's in the lower tier of that, but he's not a guy you leave open. Let's put it that okay. way. Okay. Yeah. So it would be kind of like a Dan Marley, uh, 1996 kind of thing. I love nice that reference. I nice. love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The guy who couldn't practice because his back was so bad. That's a great call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that's why, that's why you guys keep me on ice just for moments like that. <laughs> yeah. We, I, I've decided this podcast is the summer soldier. <laughs> Because <laughs> we already had, we already had two winter soldiers with uh, Tom Fastag. This is the the summer soldier. Anyway, well, I, I came equipped with at least one, uh, yeah, dad uh, house dad story. So. Oh yeah, yeah, we got to have some dad talk, some lawnmower talk at the end of this yeah, pod. Yeah, but for um, sure. <laughs> yeah, so the name that I was intrigued with on that list uh, was I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm going to you know, let you talk, Chris Francis, uh, Mike Conley. I think that was a really interesting name in that uh, I've heard that the Jazz want to shed salary. There was a lot of talk before Joe Ingles got hurt last year that the Cavs were interested in him because they wanted to clear him off their books. And, of course, he hurt his ACL like a week after uh, Ricky Rubio did, and he was out for the rest of the season. And they still traded him anyway. And, you know, Mike Conley doesn't really fit with – Again, he's older than the rest of that core for the Jazz. They are very much in win now or blow it up mode. Um, I think Conley would be real interesting. He's got two more years uh, in the 20-some million range, and then his third year is guaranteed for like $14 million of a $28 million contract. It's a weird, weird final year. But he is, I believe, 34 at this point, which uh, is is – the wrong side of 30 for a point guard, but he was moderately effective last year and could fill in a lot of spot minutes. Um, you know, I, I could definitely see him playing 28 minutes a night with Garland, with Sexton, you know, with Rubio. Um, but if you're trading for a Mike Conley, to me, that means you're giving up Kevin Love. Um, I, I think it's a move I'd think about if I'm the Cavs because he's a solid NBA vet. He fills a position of need. Um, I think you switch Karis LeVert up to the three and a lot of these other guys up to the three and you kind of run a small guard heavy lineup, which you can kind of do with their twin tower setup. Um, but he also has an injury history. So, it, you know, I I like him as a player and always have more than Gordon Hayward. It's a very similar situation with a worse contract. I, I don't know. What do you think of that? Um, I'm going to go back to you, Chris Francis, because I, I see you keep unmuting yourself <laughs> you, to tell me how stupid I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, because, well, the reason why I've been lukewarm on Conley is for the reasons you specified in terms of his age. Um, he's a 6'1 guard who's 34 going on 35 and was unable to be effective in the playoffs in the first round. I mean, he, he was completely washed in the first round. Let's just say it for what it is. Um, he, he, he wasn't able to stay on the court, wasn't effective on the court uh, against Dallas. 
And um, so it's sad, you know, because I mean, that's the thing is, I think it, I think, you know, he's a guy that's been so well respected and loved for a long time, you know, especially around these parts, you know, is that that Ohio State team was freaking amazing. Um, so, uh, you know, he's and he's got a basketball IQ. He's he's multi-talented. He's got versatile skills. But I mean, he's just getting to the point where he's just too old. And the from what I've seen, at least from Fedor, is that his suggestion is that is that it would be it would take Karis Levert to get him. Which again, you know, I go back to you're getting seven years older, and I'm not sure you're getting better. You know, because uh, because um, Conley's declining, and so I I think it's a thing where the stats in the past, you know paint this picture that it's a move that should be done. Whereas the current reality is that he's 34 and he's six one, you know, he's not addressing, he's not a wing. Uh, he's addressing the backup point guard position and, but you're addressing that point guard backup point guard position for how much 20 around 24 million, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's a wise use of assets, it's especially, you know, if it's not bringing in a wing, so, uh, you know, that's why I'm lukewarm on it. I'm, 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 no, I'm you know, curious I, to hear what I think I, that was a good, good counterpoint. And, uh, you know, when we come back, we'll talk to, uh, Eli and Tom about, uh, the, uh, the Buckeye, uh, Mike Conley. So we'll be right back. Okay, Tom, I'm going to do something, you know, this is something that is one of the things you're best at. Tell me how stupid I am on this Mike Conley idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't. I didn't watch Conley in the playoffs. I just looked up the numbers while you guys were talking. And yeah, I mean, prognosis is not good for him going forward as far as I'm concerned. Um, size, age, uh, and just his game. You know, I mean, I think he's he's always been less skilled than Chris Paul. And I think we can kind of see Chris Paul starting to become limited Oof. when... When, uh, Chris Paul fell off a cliff in about two games. <laughs> well, I mean, you can see he's still got it's it's like it's almost like the first thing that goes is the consistency. And, and you know, it's like, oh, absolutely. I remember, uh, you know, Greg Maddox talking about when he was in his late 30s, he was a he was actually a like a smarter pitcher. But when he was in his late 20s, he could get away with bad pitches because his stuff was just better. And so, like, the basketball equivalent, you know, I see is these guys are still the same people, you know. They can still, um, you know, remind us of who they've always been, but it's just it's just harder to do. It, nothing comes easy. And Conley, um, you know, he's the kind of guy that I feel like if he was just bigger, um, he could really have a nice glide slope at the, you know, the end of his career. But because but he's he is, not, yeah, yeah, I think he'll just he'll get abused on the defensive end, even though he's a good defender. Um, so yeah, at that at that salary amount, I think that's just too much to invest in someone that. Um, I, I like the idea of like bringing Rubio back more than um, paying twenty million for Mike Conley. But um, when you said his name, I. Uh, emotionally was like yeah let's get conley because i've always (laughs) i've always loved mike conley's game i loved watching him in college um i he was kind of an he you know for a long time he was an analytics darling um i I think he was was, a uh a um got buckets uh 
What would a uh, rap him all star? He was, yeah, and and just he was a guy that uh, did he ever make an all star team? Did he no, recently make? That's the point I was going to bring up. He's, I the, think he's, he's one of the best to the, players to never make yeah, an all star game. Yes, that's a good trivia because trivia point guard question. was always so loaded. Yeah, yeah, with high scoring point guards, where he's a more traditional point guard, he can score. You know, a little bit like Terrell Brandon, um, not not quite as offensively prolific, but just steady. Um, but what's funny, um, do you guys ever check out this guy, this Jim uh, X High Roller, this YouTube guy that makes these videos, these NBA videos? <laughs> You'll have to expound. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube, man, you, you're hanging with the kids. <laughs> Well, I didn't say well, it's not. It's not exactly. <laughs> oh, that's it's true. That's true. I mean, I'm pretty sure YouTube came out when I was 21. So, <laughs> well, I, um, I just been the kids love to YouTube. Like that's all they ever watch. Yeah. Well, say, yeah. Same over here. Um, oh, can wait, wait, can there's, confirm. There's a guy named uh, Jim X High Roller or Jexum Jimmy High Roller, but instead of an I, it's an X. And uh, yeah, a lot of his videos are pretty good. Um, they're a little bit more modern than my taste, a little clickbaity, you know, like where it's like, okay, you know, you, you really go on to kind of draw me in with some, but, but the substance is still pretty good. So he had a, he had a, uh, a whole bit. It was like a 15 minute video on this like celebrity dunk contest from the eighties where they brought in people from other sports. And one of them was Mike Conley senior, who was uh, like a, like a high jump star or something like that. And I had no, I mean, I knew Mike Conley Sr. I was Sr. wondering when you would get to the point. <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew Mike Conley Sr. was a good athlete. I had no idea he may be like an all-time athlete. And this he guy was an makes, Olympian, wasn't he? He was, yeah. So this guy makes the case in this video that Mike Conley Sr. may have the world record for the longest dunk. And in this dunk contest, he takes off from at least like a foot behind the free throw line i remember oh my god tom you are giving me oh my i saw this dunk contest live because it was between it was between conley senior and another jumper i can't remember it was it was like it, it, it was, might have been uh was it carl lewis i mean there, there was yeah it was it, it was, it was yes, like it very was famous big. people like i think yes. Deion sanders it was all like household names that that did holy this. crap and, anyway yeah so we can link this video because it's pretty cool in, in the podcast and, and everyone this can is watch definitely it. um you know celebrating the seniors podcast <laughs> <laughs> ageism is a real thing nate we have millions millions of americans are affected every year we have achieved peak <laughs> dad with this podcast already only in the 36th minute but the, you know this this Jim, Jimmy High Roller makes a great ironic point that the son of one of the greatest athletes of all time, kind of the, the narrative on him is kind of that he's unathletic <laughs> for an NBA player, right, um, right? Which is it's all relative, right? But he's not a high flyer, he's not an explosive guy, and here his father, um, and man, you watch that dunk and you're like, wow, I've seen a lot of quote foul line dunks. I've not seen a lot of like you could fit um, a whole basketball between his toe and the free throw line, and he definitely dunked that ball. It, it's pretty. It's pretty insane. 
<laughs> wow. What Tom coming hard. We unthaw him and or thaw him out and he just he just so, brings but, it from I mean if you, deep so if you in sign, the YouTube archives. If you sign Mike Conley, you get Mike Conley's father's highlight videos with it. It's just like it's just like it's just like NFTs, right? It doesn't really mean anything. But you get you get to say that you own something that you don't actually own. And you know, just like NFTs, just pay twenty million for Mike Conley, and we as Cavs fans can co-opt all the Mike Conley senior highlight videos we want. Yeah, and if you buy the juice pack for uh, Mike Conley, you actually get three different juiced Mike Conleys. So <laughs> that, that's, that's the whole uh, ape, uh, you know, ape juice thing. Or oh whatever. yeah, yeah oh okay. yeah. I wasn't making a well done. It was done. I wasn't. It was, well it, done. it was. It was not well done. It was pretty weak. It was pretty I, thin. And I'm sure I'm, Eli is just sitting there shaking his head at all I'm, of us. I'm scared to even ask what ape juice is. <laughs> it, it's an <laughs> it's an NFT thing. I'm sure. Set. Uh, okay. Seth I've heard of. I've heard of. I've heard of bored ape. Yeah. It's it's part of that. Okay, Eli, tell us just just tell us how off base we are here. Well, since we're talking Mike Conley, he's actually I do want to correct something. He actually was an all star last year. I, um, you are correct. I was going to make all right, that great. And, he broke yes, the he seal. Was, he's no longer the answer to a trivia question. Yeah, so nice. he was like the fourth injury replacement because Devin Booker got hurt in the last game before the All Star game last year. Um, Asterix. <laughs> But uh, another fun fact, I actually have a picture with Mike Conley. Of course you do. (laughs) He's probably the best talented basketball player I've taken a picture with. Okay, so here is the real question. The question that I know is on Chris and Tom's mind. Who was taller, you or Mike Conley? Definitely Eli. Eli is tall. Mike Conley or the Korean Channing Fry? Who was taller? Um, I am... I was actually really surprised that I was probably at least two inches taller than him. Without wow. a doubt. Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. if you yeah. went back to Korea, would you be like a celebrity because you'd be the tallest person there? No. <laughs> People are getting taller <laughs> everywhere, man. It's it's kind that's of true. interesting. It, it, that's it's true. that high-protein food we're exporting, Tom, except to Russia no, now because totally they true. got rid of the it's Mickey totally D's. I saw, that. I saw that there's no more McDonald's in Russia. I'm concerned their military is going to get much stronger. <laughs> okay so who else do we have on that list because we have beaten the uh old the uh over 32 uh vote pr- down pretty hard so i'm yeah, gonna go but I actually yeah one i know three. your guy i know your guy i know who you're gonna say so so bring it on eli wait who do you think i want to say same draft as Dion waiters the guy that a lot of people thought the Cavs should have taken Ooh, who's that Andre Drummond, we already tried that. Harrison <laughs> Barnes. Oh, yeah, I do like me some Harrison Barnes. Um, but I was actually going to more so say that I actually would trade Levert for Conley, just to end the point on Conley for the Cavs. Um, and my rationale is that you have a picture with him. No, I mean that <laughs> that obviously helps, but um, I think the Cavs. They kind of have a log jam at the two, the tweener two one types, and I think that Conley would be a clear upgrade as the backup point guard for this team, and um, it just makes things a lot cleaner in terms of minutes, role, and 
you know, he can be the veteran presence and you don't have to bank on a ACL recovered Ricky Rubio. I mean, I just think it answers a lot of questions. I'm with you there, but can you really afford 20 million a year for a backup point guard? I mean, we're about to pay 20 million to Levert or Sexton for one of them to come off the bench. So I think it's, we're swapping that financial problem. Would Levert come off the bench, you think? I think Levert or Sexton has to. I don't think you can play all. I don't think you can play Garland, Sexton, and Levert at the same time. But are, we, are you thinking we're going to give twenty million to both Sexton and Levert? Uh, well, Levert's making nineteen no matter what, um, and then Sexton, which you hopped on a set tab late, but he's looking for between eighteen to. 20. Nice if you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> Same. You know what? You know what song I've been listening to on my drive to work? Money for nothing. Dire Straits. And that ain't shit, working. Like, that's the way that's you do it. That's the way you do it. You Money play the guitar on your MTV, and your chicks for free. If, if that ain't a dated <laughs> reference, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who else we got here? I should have learned to dribble <laughs> the basketball. <laughs> okay, Eli. Who? Uh, who did you want to mention? No, I, I, Harrison Barnes was probably my favorite player on that mention list. Um, no, I think he's a guy that makes a ton of sense. But from everything I've read, Sacramento wants vets so that they can compete now. Yeah, which makes sense. And then Chris and I, we had a really good conversation. And this person was not on the list. But the name that we came up with was Buddy Heald uh, for either Levert or Sexton. Because um, I think he, his role would also be a lot more defined on the Cavs team versus Wait, all did... these guys who are kind of combo-y. Like Levert and Sexton, to me, are a similar archetype where they're combo guards that can pass a little bit better than a two, but you know can't shoot as well as a true two. And they're, they're tweeners between the one and two, and they're not elite necessarily at either skill set so so you think the all pacers are gonna pacers are gonna trade back for levert um well they definitely won't trade for levert but maybe for a sexton or maybe for a three-way where levert goes somewhere else correct you know so i mean barnes is definitely my dream wish target um because i think he plays pretty good defense he quietly is a little bit better playmaker. I think he averaged almost four assists in a larger ball handling role last year. So I think he can, you know, cover a lot of the gaps that the Cavs are looking for, uh, which is, you know, wing three and D wing play and a little bit of playmaking. No, I think but, Harrison Barnes would be absolutely a perfect wing to slot into the three and play some four for the Cavs. I'm, I'm with you. All right. But, can I interrupt and just ask? Why is Dion Waiters not in the NBA right now? Because he <laughs> ate a gummy and flipped out on a plane in uh, when he was. Is with that Miami. really why? Is that really he was? He's out of the league at age twenty-eight. Yeah, and he um, then he had that run with the Lakers in their bubble run. I think he won a ring, um, and then but he wasn't very wow. good, and then. And nobody really signed him. I don't think anybody wants to deal with the baggage. I mean, he really can't shoot anymore, you know. Yeah, and, and get or even get to the rim, you know, at all. Uh, from from the last that I saw, last little bit. My the 
I didn't realize that he played for the Lakers last uh, in the bubble. Yeah, that, he, that was... he won a ring, I believe. I don't know if he was on the roster at the end, but he was on the roster at the bubble at some point. I don't know if he made the playoff uh, roster. I'm, I'm really Different. irritated that we came up with so many awesome nicknames for Dion and Saint none of Weirdo. Them, none of them run Basketball Reference. Yeah, so let's let's talk through ours, and then I'll read you the ones <laughs> on Basketball Reference. So we had Saint Weirdo, Saint Weirdo, which was a anagram of his name. Yeah, Colin uh, McGowan came up with that one. Yep, we had uh, we had uh, Freon because he would get. He had ice water oh. in his veins, right? We had That's Freon good. Dion. Um, we had uh, what else did we have for Dion? We had and Neon Dion. We had Neon, Neon, Neon Dion and three on when he would hit a three. We had, we had three on when he would hit a three. Well, here's his names on Basketball Reference: Downhill Dion. Okay, that's God. that's sadly apropos right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kobe Wade. Okay. Oh, I do remember that one. <laughs> Google because, me, because which is he was... great nickname. <laughs> Google me, Google me. So the headache, reason he headache. was Dion Wade was because all those analytics comps when he didn't start for Syracuse but was taken, I believe, fourth by the Cavs. Yeah, Google Google me is an epic nickname. Headache, um, and then mm-hmm, Philly mm-hmm. cheese and bubble cheese. So yeah, I remember Bubble Cheese. They called him that. I don't know. Bubble. I don't know how we we gotta find it. We gotta petition uh, Neil Payne to get Saint Weirdo added to Dion Waiters' <laughs> nickname. I think you need to do that. I think, I think uh, definitely on the list. So, um, and with that, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. We got a four man booth tonight: Tom Pestak, Chris Francis, Elijah Kim, Nate Smith. And uh, we're just going through Cavs free agency and trade targets. And the one that I've heard thrown around quite a bit uh, in the last week or so is uh, probably the best free agent of this class. And that is uh, Zach Levine, um, who has had a couple really good years for Chicago. Uh, clearly Chicago's best player over the last three seasons or so and has, has really kind of put himself into elite category. Uh, obviously, it would take a sign and trade uh, for the Cavs to acquire him. Um, I, I guess I'll start with you, Eli. Is that even realistic? And um, also, I I realizing now that you need to also make the case for Buddy Buckets. So, all right. Well, I don't think it's realistic to be honest. But the silver lining is that he is a clutch client. So maybe Rich Paul can somehow use his voodoo magic to tell him that he should demand the sign and trade at Cleveland. So, like I said, it's not very realistic. Uh, going back to Buddy Buckets, I'm all about... Uh, I think the Cavs are now at a point where it can't just be blind talent acquisition mode anymore. And that's where, you know, they're duplicative archetypes, duplicative size of players. And now I think the Cavs have the capability and are at a at a roster point where they can go for specific roles and qualities that they need to fill out their team. That's why I think Buddy Buckus works. He's the perfect sized player that can slot in between Garland and Markinen or Garland and Mobley. Um, yeah, so play the two or the three for them. Correct. And then he is a deadly three-point shooter. And if there is anything the Cavs need, they need a guy who can make a clutch catch and shoot three pointer, and he'd be 
an ideal person for that. And he's not, you know, he's 29. So um, obviously that timeline still works. And like the King's owner said, he's Steph Curry, but bigger. So maybe the Cavs can unlock <laughs> that potential with him. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. And, okay, Chris, um, Zach Levine and Buddy Buckets. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely on board with Buddy Buckets. You know, I, I think, I think, you know, finally he got the stench off of, got the Sacramento stench off of him. And all of a sudden he's averaging five assists a game and he's, he's looking like Steph Curry. So, uh, you know, count me in for Buddy Buckets, uh, all day, every day. Um, as far as Zach Levine, I think they, I think it should be a serious consideration. You know, I don't, I, he, uh, Zach is in his prime. He's like 26, 27 years old. Um, and has really taken his game to another level over the past couple of years, as you alluded to. Um, he's made himself a more complete player defensively, playmaking wise, and he's a hell of a shooter. Um, and he's six, six. So he's got some size to that. Uh, the main concern and, is his and health. A outstanding finisher. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. Uh, and, uh, you know, the only real concern is his health. Uh, he, had a bulky, he's, he's had that ACL, uh, when he was young and he had a bulky knee at the end of the season, kind of got worn down. So that, that's a bit of a concern. Um, although it seems like it's not a concern for the Bulls, they seem to be ready and willing to offer him the full max. The, the deal is, and the reason why it's even being talked about is because I guess Zach is kind of signaling that he wants out. And what's interesting about Zach kind of touching on uh, Eli's point about clutch is that, you know, there's these wild rumors that maybe there was a there was a little uh, drama on the Twitter sphere, NBA Twitter sphere about uh, him possibly linking up with Deontay Murray down in San Antonio. They're both clutch clients. They're friends. They're both from Washington, uh, the state of Washington, both played high school ball up there. So, um I don't know. I mean, it seems like Zach might be willing to go anywhere. You know, he, it seems like he wants to compete. He wants to be the guy, you know, and, and, uh, you know, make a run at this. I think the Cavs have a lot to offer him in terms of, Hey, we got two awesome defenders that'll, you know, clean up your messes behind you. And you could be the lead dog league score, you know, on, on the, on the Cavs squad. So I think he should be seriously considered. Is it reasonable? I mean, no, it's not reasonable unless they're willing to part with Jared Allen. You know, I think that's where Jared Allen comes into the situation. Do you want, do you want a Donovan Mitchell? Do you want a Zach Levine? Do you want a premier name in the NBA that's disgruntled? It's going to require, I think, Jared Allen to get that person. And that's going to be obviously, as you've talked about and as everybody knows, that's a huge sacrifice uh, to make. But, you know, kind of on the flip side of that is, you know, uh, you know, how do we think uh, Evan Mobley is going to develop? Is he going to develop into a true four? Is he going to develop a shot? Is he going to develop a jumper game? So I, I, is he going to develop a perimeter game? I don't know. You know, I, I'd love to get you guys thoughts on it, but I, I think he should be seriously considered. But I get that it's a steep price. Wow. Chris coming with the with the knowledge. Um <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say I don't think it's realistic. Um, I think it's a lot of posturing for a lot of money. Um, I will say the other side of that is 
Now I got to go back and look at those indie uh, indie stats for Buddy Heald if they're just featuring him to get you know to build up his value to move him again. I'm not a huge Buddy Heald fan. Guy doesn't play defense. Kind of came off like a bonehead in Sacramento, but I will say you know the Sacramento effect is real. Um, there's no they're the dumb they're one of the dumbest teams in pro sports. So I, I, anything <laughs> can it? happen there. Isn't Zach Levine a minus defender? Um, I think he's kind of upped his game to, you know, average. I know he's way upped his offensive game, especially his shooting, but I thought he was still a sieve on defense. I, I think he's upped his game to average, uh, but I'll look that up. I don't know. Uh, what do you yeah, think about both those things, Tom? I, I would say that he's gone from a disaster on defense to, like, slightly below average to average. To... to you know, he's not a stopper, but now he's putting in some effort on the defensive end. Copy. All. <laughs> I don't know. You got any thoughts on that, Tom? Or you just, yeah, whatever. No, I'm just, I I don't, I haven't watched Healed a lot. Um, I, do you, what about Oklahoma, your philosophy? Right? Do you, do you believe in the idea of going to get a disgruntled star or do you, would you rather let, would you rather just kind of build pieces piece by piece and let it cook? Oh man. I, I would not say I have any philosophies or ideologies on team building because I feel like I've seen everything happen um, without taking up two hours. The craziest thing I think ever was um, the season of Huh 2014 when the Cavs were way underachieving. They had um, Alonzo G at the three. They were getting 3G service, baby. They were getting killed defensively, and they had no um, locker room culture to speak of that was anything positive. Uh, and then they brought in, of course, Andrew Bynum. So they took a waiver <laughs> on him. <laughs> oh my god! Which, you know, it was a, it was a it was a high risk. It was a well, it was I think it was seen as a low risk, medium reward type move because it was like a non guaranteed contract or something something weird. But um, it didn't work out. It became a distraction. <laughs> to, to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was it became a giant distraction. And then he, the Cavs nuked any, or he nuked any trade value he may have had. And so the Cavs went out at the trade deadline, and they got Luol Dang. Culture, quote-unquote, culture changer Luol Dang. And... You know, on paper, it was a flawless move. It was like, what is this team lacking? Veteran presence, check. Defense, check. A competent, like, starting quality shooting guard, or um, small forward, check. I mean, it was just like, could you have come up with a better name that was a reasonable person to get than Luol Dang? No, you couldn't. And here's what happened. Uh, The Cavs went from having a chance to plummeting in the standings <laughs> their defense their defense went from below average to worst in the league and there were reports coming out within you know a, a month after Luol Deng showed up that within one week he was spreading rumors to his preferred media sources that the Cavs were completely dysfunctional so it's like Ooh. dude you're like you're like 30 years old and you're just stirring shit up, making it worse instead of trying to improve things within a week. You're just complaining. It was just an, it was a, 
it was an abject disaster. Uh, Woj wrote this big football spiking piece in Yahoo about how Dan Gilbert was the worst uh, owner of all time and that the Cavs have embarrassed themselves. And the, and the coup de grace of his piece was because you've, you've screwed this up so much Cavaliers, you've, you've just completely forfeited your chance to ever see LeBron James again. And then three months later, LeBron came back. And so it's just kind of like, you know what, all this talk about, you know, there's just, there's a lot of randomness. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of egos. So in terms of like what you're asking, I don't know. I feel like I've seen it work where you bring in someone that was a problem somewhere else and it's like, well, it worked out here. Um, You know, I mean, Dennis Rodman obviously was a head case and in Chicago, they found a way to minimize um, the damage that he can do. And he was a, a, you know, a tour de force defensively and just bringing energy to that team that was getting older. Um, I've seen, you know, high character guys that it was like, man, this makes perfect sense to do this. And it just, you know, didn't move the needle or in the Lou Alden case, I don't even know what happened there. That was a just bizarro year altogether. So I don't know. Well, and then let's add the fact that he, <laughs> the whole situation with Danny Ferry, kind of his horrible comments, uh, racist comments about uh, Luol Deng that leaked to the media, and then that ruined his career. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of careers and a lot of huh that season. And then, of course, Chris Grant was fired that year. It, it was a big, giant mess. So, yeah, I, I think your point's well taken of, you know, if something's working, let it work. And if something's not working, make a change. And I think the Cavs worked really well at the beginning of the year. And then after the all-star break, it didn't. So something's got to change. And Um, it's just, you know, like a great example. And again, is it an anecdote or can we learn something here? But in 2014, that same year, right? Who won the NBA title? The San Antonio Spurs. Who was the sixth man uh, or maybe seventh man for the San Antonio Spurs that year when they gentlemen swept the heat trivia. So if we call Ginobili the sixth man, who was the next guy off the bench for the Spurs? Right? No. Yes. Boris. Yes. Sorry. I I misheard you. Yes. Boris man boobs. (laughs) Diaw was the seventh man off the bench. I called him something worse, but yeah, look at, look at Boris Diaw's minutes and usage in Charlotte before he went back to the Spurs on a, Oh, right. He was a, he was was, on an apocalyptically bad team. He could barely get on the floor and on maybe, you know, pre pre warriors, uh, I think you could make the case the 2014 Spurs might have been the best offensive team, or at least in the finals. That series was maybe the best offensive series in NBA history in the finals. Um, and Dia was uh, a huge part of that the passing, the shooting. Um, so it's just kind of like, I mean, is that well, just, look oh, at well, it, the this... Spurs are a good organization? Is it just the right guys in the right? the right spot, you know, I, I, so do you guys ever listen to Gilbert Arenas's podcast or I, I haven't, but um, I'm going to let, let's get to that. In a minute. I am going to cut you off because we got to go to a break, but also I wanted to say Spencer Dinwiddie is a kind of 
the answer to that from this season. Yeah, that's, for a, the that's a great example. That's a great example. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing I will say is I have a trivia question for you. Who is the last Cavalier to make first team all rookie NBA? Um, I'm, I'm gonna, Kyrie. I'm going to leave it till we go to the break and uh, we'll be right back to welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. Second hour. We've got Tom Pestak, Elijah Kim, Chris Francis, and myself, Nate Smith. And the trivia question on deck is who is the last Cavalier to make first team all rookie. And uh, we have talked about him on this podcast. Wait, it was, was it, it I'm was guessing St. Weirdo. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is it Dion? Yeah, because we're not counting Mobley, right? No, because he made second team. Or before Mobley. No, you're right. It was before Mobley. I think Mobley did make first team all rookie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, before Mobley. Yeah. So you were telling us about the Gilbert Arenas podcast, Tom? Well, first of all, I mean, I think uh, Dion pulled a Brandon Jennings on us. Because wasn't it like the first week of the season? Didn't he like drop thirty his rookie year? And that was like oh, Brandon high. Jennings had a fifty point game. Yeah, yeah a fifty-seven yeah. point game. I know. Yeah, but I he rushed, was also one hundred twenty-five pounds. So. I rushed home to pick him up in my fantasy league, and my buddy got to him first. And the <laughs> and joke was on him. <laughs> he never did anything again. Yeah. Um. No, so I've been listening to some basketball podcasts, Gilbert Arenas's, which is hit or miss, but there's some, you know, it, it's fun. It it feels you know, a little more uh, real than, you know, your typical NBA podcast. Um, and then also um, Ryan Rossillo. So anyway, a couple weeks ago, Ryan Rossillo had Antonio Daniels on his podcast, Blast from the Past, um, and I loved every second of it. Antonio Daniels is a commentator for the the Timberwolves I'm sorry the um the Pelicans and uh he was just bringing you know the the mid-aughts you know he was name dropping he he dropped Eric Snow I mean it was just it was phenomenal but one of the <laughs> things that he said was that most NBA players that are not elite there are teams where they would thrive and locker rooms where they would thrive and there are teams where they would struggle or suffer. Um, and, you know, he kind of, I don't remember exactly the examples that he used, but he talked about himself and how uh, he talked about other players. And, you know, they had to bounce around a little bit and get in a good situation before, you know, they could really shine. So, it, I mean, it definitely happens. Um, we see it, but, you know, we try to explain it after the fact. And the, it's like, was it random? Was it? injury was it a combination of factors that we can't see was it as simple as you know some kind of on-court fit or locker room culture or you know the kinds of things that the players and the coaches will say well he's just working really hard like okay i i, I bet he's always working hard you know but was it Channing fry and richard jefferson and little kev i mean richard jefferson was well, a i'm great just saying example. like no, they... that's a great example i mean he yeah. was he was if before that season you had said Richard Jefferson is going to play meaningful minutes in NBA, you know, finals games, you would have said probably not. I think he's kind of past that point, and he did. You know, he did. Well, so. Andy had one of the greatest Christmas Day dunks ever over Clay. Oh yeah, so. I remember. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah, I actually so. watched that like a week ago. That game in its entirety showed up in my YouTube. There we go, YouTube again. <laughs> and I was like, I don't understand how this is here, but yeah, I'm gonna watch it. That 
that Christmas. That was the Christmas. That was the Christmas after. Yeah, 2016. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, Antonio Daniels didn't know this. Uh, same age as me. He's only about uh, three months older. And he's from your neck of the woods, No, right? he's from Columbus. And he went to Bowling Green. From... Born in Columbus, went to Bowling went Green. To Bowling Green so. Okay, okay. But we yeah. have talked and played for seven teams, but we have talked too much about guys who haven't played in the league in like five years this podcast. So I think to your point, uh, it's kind of selling me on the Buddy Buckets idea. I kind of like this idea. So I think, um, you know, Buddy Buckets, um, maybe a Buddy Buckets, Malcolm Brogdon deal to, uh, you know, kind of complete Ooh. the circle of life here. Wow. And, uh, wow. That's yeah, intriguing. I I don't know. Um, we got some other names on that list, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pull them up real quick here. Sorry, right, I gotta I gotta go back uh, to oh, the, to the... the big one was Wiggins. That's ridiculous. They're not trading Wiggins. Wiggins has looked great. Wiggins had just had one of the all time great playoff dunks. Yeah, that uh, was that was sick. That was sick. And then of course we've got um, yeah. I don't think Wiggins is is remotely realistic. Um, well, it it depends. I mean, the problem they're having is they're going to get obliterated by the tax, and I, it's because basically Clay is ruining it. Clay and <laughs> is really the the dead weight that's ruining their chances at possibly retaining Wiggins. I I mean, I guess, but I don't see it now. The other trade target that Fedor had that I loved um, was Gary Trent. Junior, who's light, you want to talk about a lights out shooter. That guy is a lights out shooter. Um, oh, right. I, I love that idea. Uh, we've also got, um, DeLon Wright, uh, who I think is, could fit into that Cavs mid level. We got slow mo Kyle Anderson, Gorn Dragic, who I want no part of, uh, Rel Neto, eh, another 6 1 guy who's on the wrong side of 30, Jeremy Lamb, who's never been healthy, and then, TJ Warren, who is a, you know, a rehab project that I just don't believe in. Um, I, I'm not big on any of those guys. And I think Tyus Jones is a guy the Cavs will probably have to sign and trade for. Um, but I don't hate that idea for Tyus Jones. I feel like, uh, Tyus Jones for, uh, no, I think. Okay, Tom, you got to mute yourself because you got the clicky keyboard and I don't know what you're doing oh, in I'm the background. Oh, I'm sorry. I do. I have a Razor Black Widow. V3. Are, are you playing the uh, the the? No, I'm not actually playing. Um, sorry, I'm fast. You know, basketball referencing. So I will meet myself. <laughs> I, I figured it was some Rocket League going on in the background there, but dude, I'm not lead enough to play Rocket League with a keyboard. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I mean, kind of out of those names I just threw out there, uh, who intrigues you? Who do you think's realistic, Eli? I mean, I feel like we kind of getting long in the tooth on the t- trade and free agency talk, and I know we're all chomping at the bit to talk some drafts. So what, what do you think of those names? Yeah, I mean, I think Jeremy Lamb and Nato, um, Raul Nito all make sense, but I think those are, should be the contingency plans and not like we really need to do this on day one of free agency. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. They talked, the podcast talked a little bit more in detail about Antonio, coach Antonio Lang, his favorite player in the league is Nito. So take it for what you will. I think if 
if it's down to the last roster spot, there's a chance that that's kind of the third or maybe fourth point guard in the in the locker room to kind of help be a veteran presence. I like I like Neto a lot, and I also like uh, Sadaransky, who you know again we talked about that places they fit, places they don't. He was good with the Wizards after being buried in uh, New Orleans again. So, but a lot of people think if he comes back, it'll be with the Wizards. But you know, I've always liked that guy. So, I don't know. What about you, uh, Chris? Any any names on that list? That yeah, you liked, I mean, didn't like. I mean, I'm I'm cool on most of those names just because you know I'm, I'm you know I get why they would be interested in Neto um, for obvious reasons. My thing about him is, uh, can he play in the playoffs? You know, going back to the 16 game player thing, is he a guy that's going to help during the playoffs? Um, maybe, maybe not. I think the guy that probably helps the most is obviously Tyus Jones. I think Jones, obviously also the age factor, I think is something that's intriguing with him. He's younger, less likely to get injured, you know, might have, might be still growing in, you know, as far as his uh, knowledge of the game and his comfortability and his role and in his place in the league. So I got to stop you for a minute. Sure. Comfortability is not a word. It's it's just comfort. comfort. No, I had a guy I worked with and he would say that every day and it drove me up the wall. So it's just comfort. And that's just me being a condescending prick there. You can continue. No, it's all (laughs) good. But I I think the issue with the names that uh, Fedor mentioned is that I'm pretty sure every single name he mentioned, maybe outside Dragic, which I 100% agree, don't want anything to do with. Um, I'm pretty sure they all have bird rights. The the teams that they're with all have bird rights. So how much are the Cavs willing to spend? Are they willing to spend the full mid-level to get these guys? You know, I can't see that and none of them being worth it other than Tyus Jones. And then as you I, said, I'd give Kyle Anderson close to the mid-level. I, it's hard for me to say to do that given what transpired in the playoffs. Was he terrible um, in the playoffs? I didn't he think was, he was that bad. I mean, he wasn't bad, but I mean, I, his shooting is bad. I mean, he, he was left alone. You know, he was getting the Okoro treatment. So, Oof. yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's hard for me. And also, I think he might be on the wrong side of 30, if I'm not mistaken. Um, oh, no, he's 28. Okay. So, you know, I could I could get on board with that, but his shooting was terrible. So... Um, in getting the Acora treatment, you know, that, that gives me pause, but you know, I, yeah, I mean, I get, I get why they're, it's just, I don't, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's funny, uh, uh, Eli mentioned contingency plans. I think that's where it's going to end up. <laughs> it's probably going to end up with Raul Nito. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm of the, uh, I like the Tyus Jones idea and I know that's a team that doesn't want to go over the cap. Um, I actually thought he was after, uh, Morant got hurt. I thought he was the best Grizzly in that Warrior series. And honestly, the, his biggest problem was that he didn't shoot enough. Uh, he was the only guy that could score and get his own shot. And he was kind of deferring a little too much, but you know, he, he would be a really nice option. So I don't know, Tom, uh, any, any other names, any of those names, uh, uh, blow your skirt up there. Nope. None. <laughs> okay. Then. Ass. Okay. So, um, 
Yeah, we have beaten the horse, dead horse into the ground on this uh, free agency in this uh, Fedor article. Uh, yeah, it's so, Fedor's fault. There is too much content. Yeah, I know. We should have spaced it out. But uh, let's uh, – so what are – I'm going to let Chris and Eli because they're my – there are resident draft nerds. Um, wh- what is the latest rumblings with the Cavs and uh, kind of who's going to be there at 14 and uh, where you, what it, what's it looking like this week? Cause I feel like for the last week, it's been 20 guys locked in the top 14, which isn't mathematically possible. No, I mean, it's, it's shaked down a lot. I think now, now that guys have met with teams, now that the combine has passed, I think things are becoming clearer. I think the one thing that's become clear at 14 is that, you know, Fedor keeps on saying they're looking for a two-way wing, scoring wing, two-way wing, two-way wing. Well, if the Cavs are going to get a two-way wing in the draft, um, they're going to have to reach. They're, they're just going to have to reach. They're gonna, or they're going to have to hope somebody falls. Like, uh, uh, the Or they're going to have to move up. Yeah. The name that's falling that's interesting is, uh, from what I'm gathering, is Ben Maturin. Uh, the the scoring guard slash wing out in uh, University of Arizona. He was a sophomore. Uh, played in the played well in the uh, tournament. Um, young guy, long guy. Uh, not not necessarily the playmaker. I think the reason why he's falling is because does he bring anything else to the table besides scoring? And that's the question. And and so there's a guy like him falling, but. It seems like there's a rapid ascent of two-way wings that are just sh- shooting up the the draft boards and the charts because of the combine and because of uh, teams talking to guys. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll open the floor to Eli as far as to, to fill in the gaps here a little bit. Yeah, it definitely seems like my dream of getting Dyson Daniels is going to be a nightmare here soon. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think it's over. <laughs> I, I think it's over. He – it's – there was a recent article um, saying that he could go as high as six, which is good for him because he does remind me a lot of – ironically, that's where Josh Giddy went, and I thought there's a lot of Josh Giddy in his game too, and he's also Australian. So, um, you know, some other players I think that are rising are, you know, Tari Eason, who's also another Cavs target. I think Branham is kind of – solidifying that he is worthy of a lottery pick. And I think the guys that are falling are centers. I think this NBA playoffs is teaching us that, um, you know, maybe having a center is not spending a lot of money on a big center is not the move. Um, I mean, you look at Boston, their center is undersized, but he's super athletic and um, plays really good defense. You look at, the Warriors who play that small ball lineup and then and Looney comes in and plays the perfect role in specific matchups. So I think to no fault of their own, I think guys like Mark Williams and Jalen Duran might slip out of the lottery. And I think they are worthy lottery picks, but that just further complicates it because the Cavs definitely don't need to draft a center in the top in the lottery this year. So um, it's interesting you think that it's Mathurin that slipping. I also think that Johnny Davis might be slipping on a couple boards. Um, all these guys kind of, I think, measured a lot smaller than people had hoped. These All these uh, so-called wings are measuring at like 6'4", 6'5". Um, so 
I think this draft board is getting pretty interesting and unique because everyone is coveting that wing, and that's exactly what the Cavs need. So the Cavs might need to, you know, swing for a guy like Branham, or maybe it's Usman Dieng, who I know you hate, Chris, but you know he's he's a well, true home run swing. Yeah, here's a name for you guys that I've seen pop up more recently, and he's getting a shit ton of buzz. Is Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara University? Um, he's a guy that might be, he's a guy who performed very well in the combine. He tested very well. Um, he's a upperclassman type deal. Um, I believe he's a senior, uh, 22 years old, um, junior. Oh, is he a junior? Okay. Thank you. Um, and, uh, he's absolutely shooting up boards. There's, there's rumors about him possibly going ahead of Branham possibly going ahead of Ben Maturin. So, I mean, there's just crazy buzz about this guy. And I honestly think, you know, this is this is what I'm seeing, you know, to, to Eli's point about the centers dropping down. The reason why the centers are dropping down is because now, you know, the, the wing-starved league, the multifaceted perimeter player league, um, it's guys like Jalen Williams, uh, two other names that we saw Chris Fedor drop. I think there's no chance that the Cavs draft him at 39, although it seems like they're hoping that these guys drop is guys like your boy, Eli, Jake LaRavia, um, Christian Braun, uh, the wing guy out of, uh, national champion Kansas Jayhawks. I think these are the guys that are experiencing rises in these draft boards because of the wing star league. And as, as Eli alluded to, uh, it's Duran, it's Mark Williams, um, uh, who are falling. Kennedy Chandler is also a name that seems to be stuck, uh, in the, in the late first round. And he's probably one of the best. I mean, he's probably the best pure point guard prospect in the draft. I, I love that you guys have this level of detail. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, we're going to take a quick break, be right back, but I'm, I'm so excited about all these guys. I feel like no matter what, somebody decent's going to be there at 14 and the Cavs won't take him, but they could have. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Tom Pastak and, uh, Elijah Kim and Chris Francis. And, you know, uh, before in the break, Tom told me that, um, I have picked a lot of guys who are late first rounders that turned out to be really good. So I got to now I feel like Tom's just goading me into finding that guy. But I feel like there's a lot of those guys this year. Like, I were think, you were you or were you not all in on like Giannis and Gobert? I was all in on Gobert. I was I was very intrigued by Giannis. Um, but I kind of felt like he didn't fit where the Cavs were picking. If you, if Giannis had been there at, uh, 19 when the Cavs drafted Sergey Karasev, I would have been great with him oh, or Gobert. Uh, but yeah, remember, I was, how Kyle, remember how Colin used to pronounce Karasev's name? <laughs> Karasev. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. It was like in the native dialect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh my lord. But I mean, there's so many guys that I am. Very, very, very intrigued with the Jover. Nikola Jovich, not Jokic, 6'11", 7'2", wingspan. Um, they play him at the 2 through 5 in Europe. 
um, and play him as a primary initiator, I'm like, how can you bet against a guy who is one letter off and two inches off of Jokic? Um, who has be so safe... confusing with that, and then the Bogdanoviches. It's like uh, the Bogdan, <laughs> the Bogdanovi. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like, what is going on here? But I mean, I just I'm like, if that guy is there at 39, I feel like there's going to be good players that are available at 39. I think the Cavs are going to be able to take. You know, the real question is: is they go for a high floor guy? I think Okai Agbaji. From Kansas, I've seen the workout videos. The guy's got an NBA body. The guy can do it all. He's a knockdown shooter. Um, I, I really like him. I love, like you said, Atari Eason. Um, again, like you said, Eli, he's one of these guys that you look at his stats and you're like, how is he ranked so low? Like, I feel like he's one of these guys that people are going to be like, why did that guy slip so much? Um I would say the other thing that you could think about um, is if the Cavs made a drop blockbuster trade and moved uh, like a, you know, Jared Allen, those centers that are dropping, if you could get a Jalen Duran at 14, well, all of a sudden that looks like a really good draft pick because that's, now you do have a hole at center. That was you know? my, that's my harebrain thing. Nate, hundred percent is that, you know, the thing about it is, is that um, like if we use the Knicks and the Hawks as a, as a case study, you know, those were, those were two teams that stood pat largely expected growth because they had young cores and it pretty much, flopped uh i can't i think we can safely say it flopped this season they yeah. uh, they both neither of the teams really and, and and so you know there's a thing where like do the Cavs stand pat or do they make a move and it's you know if mark williams is there for instance at 14 like mark williams for instance just to give you an example you know you know duke bias aside if you look at his profile a statistical productive profile I mean, he's leaps and bounds better, in my opinion, a prospect than Jared Allen was coming out of college. You know, he, he's far better scorer, uh, has some playmaking upside, just as good of a defender, you know, and he's fallen like a stone, as Eli has said, you know, rightly so, you know, just because, you know, there's questions about his ability to extend his range beyond mid-range jumpers. So, you know, I'm just thinking creatively, like, that's the thing is, uh, my my big concern long term, I don't know how you guys feel, is how you guys feel like Mo- Mobley's going to grow. Do you do you guys believe, like, he's going to be able to grow his, his uh, perimeter game to the extent where Tower City works? Or, you know, how are you guys feeling about Tower City, really, is the question, I guess. Oh, I think I'm all in on Tower City. I think Mobley will continue to grow. He's got as much upside as any young player in the NBA right now, including everybody in this draft. Um, I love his work ethic, love his intelligence, love his attitude. Um, you know, Slim Duncan, as the uh, as the nickname follows. I I got no doubts about Mobley. Uh, I love Jared Allen. I think the Cavs really should be working on developing his outside shot as well. Um so I'm fine with that, but if the opportunity to get a superstar arises, 
um, you know, maybe, maybe you go that route, but, um, I'm fine with the, I would love the Cavs to embrace Towered City as their long-term identity. That's why I love a guy like the Jover who maybe can come in and be that fourth big in Tower City. I, I mean, Kevin Love is not a long-term solution at the four and backup five. So you've got to, you got to do something different. And, uh, I love their identity as being different from other teams in the league. So, and I think with Allen and with Mobley and their ability to switch on the perimeter, that is not a thing that I'm that wild about a guy as big as Mark Williams, his ability to do. The guy's seven foot, 242. Um, I, I don't know if he has that kind of lateral movement to be able to do that. And that's what makes the Cavs defender so special. The, the real question about the draft is, do you reach for a wing or do you just take what's there? Like that's, that's the, that's what the Cavs will ultimately have to decide is, are they going to reach to fill a need? Cause that's where it's headed. Like they're going to have to probably choose between, if they want an actual wing, they're going to have to choose between probably Branham, maybe Branham might be gone. Uh, uh, it might be Jalen Williams, Christian Braun, Jake LaRavia might be the next set of wings that the Cavs choose from. Do you guys reach to take him at 14 or do you, would you rather just take the best guy and just pray for a move in the future? Well, I think before last year, I probably would have said you just take best player available, um, highest upside player and just you think of it as an asset and you just hope for the best and every year you're trading people and making all kinds of package deals so really you're just about on the whole you know improving your value i think the emergence of garland as um really the uh the engine of the offense now possibly allows you to think about someone that could be a specialist offensively. Um, you know, if you know someone's just a three and D like a knockdown shooter, uh, totally automatic in a, in a, in a, you know, spot up role and a good defender. I, you know, think of coral, but like with, you know, Booby Gibson, you know, type three point shooting, I think you could do that and not worry so much about upside. But if you don't see that player, I, I think, big, small, whatever. I mean, the Cavs have kind of thumbed their nose at the idea of drafting for fit for the last couple of years. I mean, it's like, well, we already got Sexton. Well, let's draft a, another small combo guard. <laughs> That's so and, true. It, and, it, and it worked out, you know, now with like, wait, they're, and they're adding marketing. Like what kind of, what are they smoking in Cleveland? And it's like, Hey, this is actually, <laughs> this is actually kind of working. Um, and if you look at those guys, only Allen is a prototypical, old school center. I mean, Markinen's like a wing. I mean, Mobley kind of, you could see it going either way. I, I could, I could see him stepping out more, being more of a perimeter player on offense. Um, but I could also see him being a little bit of that dive man or kind of having that mid post type game. It kind of remains to be seen. I mean, some of it's going to depend on what he gets most comfortable with. Um, some of it's going to depend on, you know, the lineups, but uh, he seems well, and, versatile and talented enough that there's a lot of different options. With Well, with and, and, you know, the thing on Mobley is this is not a one-year one process. This is, 
you know, the player we're going to see in our second year is not the player we're going to see in our third and fourth year with Mobley. Like, he has so much growth ahead of him um, that, you know, I don't want everybody to say, oh, Mobley still can't shoot and feel like that's the end of his development, you know, at the beginning of next year. Yeah, and I, I, sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there, Tom. I didn't mean to just cut you off. Oh, that's all good. I'm just chomping at the bit to switch gears to dad stories. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair, fair. So um, I'm just going to kind of wrap up uh, and kind of take a little bit of an opposite take of what you did, Chris. I think there are going to be good wings at 14. Um, and just seeing how many guys have fallen, you know, Obaji, um, you know, Branham, like you said, um, there's somebody's going to be there. My dream scenario is that somehow Keegan Murray falls because nobody wants to take a, uh, a 225 pound power forward. Um, and that kind of everybody wants a wing. Uh, but you know, my dream scenario is he falls, the Cavs play him at the three and, you know, championships ensue. Um, or, or he gets to a spot where the Cavs can trade up to, but I mean, there's going to be somebody there. Wait, what, why is taking a thin power forward and making him a shooting, a uh, small forward? Uh, what, what's the, cause what's he, the exempl- what's the exemplar there that we should be playing the parade? Scored 24 points and nine rebounds and shot 40% from three in the Big Ten and was the best player in the Big Ten and one of the best players in college basketball last year. Like, how uh, that's really... I mean, wasn't, wasn't that like Thomas Robinson? Like, no, Thomas Robinson was not that. I thought he was a fill-it-up guy and he was like a sort of a slight power forward and he was always a tweener. No, am I wrong? Uh, he wasn't that kind of shooter, I'll tell you that much. All right. Yeah, that was the, yeah, that was the main thing is I think Robinson was more of a small ball 5 whereas Murray is probably a true wing. Well, he's a 3-4, but yeah, but oh, okay. the re- yeah. the rebounding is really what intrigues me about him because the Cavs with a guy with a uh you know, a Markinen, uh Allen and Mobley None of those guys are great rebounders. I mean, Allen's the best of them, and he's not great. Um, and to kind of bring in a guy that can gobble up rebounds at the three is is really intriguing for me. So that, and I'll just keep it at that. So but I think I, somebody good's going to be there. I, I just want to, because you guys had some interesting stuff looking at the Celtics and the Warriors. But I was oh, speaking of Warriors, they just knocked out the uh, the Mavs. So. Yeah, how bad do the Suns feel right now? Oh my gosh. You get curb stomped by the oh, Mavs yeah, and we, then they we... get curb stomped by the Warriors. Yeah, we went deep on that it's last It's a bad week. look. That's a bad look. But okay, so I just want to challenge this idea that um, the lesson everyone's going to learn from this finals is that there's still no place for a center, a big man in the modern NBA because... The Celtics have been doing this for a decade now, and I feel like the stars are aligning for them, and um, all the dysfunction in Philly and Brooklyn really helped them this year. All the injuries in Chicago really helped them this year. I think the the Eastern Conference really rolled out the red carpet for the Celtics, and it's not like... They've been going with some style for a decade that relied on 
a center. And okay, they finally okay. got and they finally got rid of it, and now it's like, oh, look at him! Now it's like, oh, Tom, been, have you watched the Celtics? They've been doing the same. Like you're thing. going off about a narrative that's completely false right now. What 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 narrative am I even Robert, saying? I'm just I don't know, but Robert Williams III is their second best player on that team, and he is destroying um, Bam Adebayo right now. So this whole thing about centers being irrelevant, like I. I don't know how you could have talked for the last three minutes and not mention Robert Williams III. I guess that's what I'm going on. Because he's destroying NBA All-Star Bam Adebayo and in the last two, three games. It's just, it's not even close. He's the So, wait, wait. Are you something. on my side right now? Are you saying... I don't long, know what long, you're saying, but you haven't the dropped man? the right names. That's what I'm saying. Are you saying. saying long live the big man? <laughs> I'm saying long live Robert Williams III for the Celtics because he Okay, I was trying awesome. to... I, was, I think it was Chris about a half hour ago said, I think in the draft, big men are going to drop because look at what we're back to. We're back to... That was me. Small, ba- small... Okay, it was Eli. Back to small balls and death lineups, which... I'm looking at the Celtics and the, I mean, you say he's a center, he's six eight, so okay, fine. But you, you know, small ball and small ball death lineups. But I'm just saying that first of all, Al Horford has had has a pulse somehow in this series, and he's definitely a traditional center. Um, and I just think like we'd be say it'd be completely different if the you know. The 76ers didn't have all their issues, and if uh, if Joel Embiid was dropping 50, 22, 10, 4, 3 in 40 minutes a night in the Eastern Conference Finals, you know what I mean? Like, I think it might be a little bit random that the Finals is going to be between teams without, you know, back-to-the-basket seven-footers that occasionally step outside. Does that make any sense? I don't know if I'm... I don't know. I, 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 feel, like, like I'm I the, feel bad now. <laughs> I don't know if I got you on the wrong wavelength. No, or maybe, I mean, I mis- maybe I misinterpreted what Eli was saying. Like, I think that... I think as far as... What's interesting about the Celtics is they really ripped off the Cavs this season. Is, is honestly what they did. Because they paid... They ended up paying Robert Williams uh, through free agency... Um, this over the past off season, and they reacquired after not acquiring, reacquiring whatever uh, Al Horford, and it's kind of like they bit the two tower, they bit the twin towers thing uh, from the Cavs. Uh, playing, they were able to play Robert Williams and Horford together because with Horford, he's able to stretch out to the three point line on offense. And with Robert Williams, he can switch onto the perimeter on defense. So it's it's interesting, like that they kind of they're kind of taking a page out of the Cavs, and they're kind of running with it. Uh, this this uh, the, in this run that they're having with the playoffs and everything, they're kind of uh, taking a I page mean, out of the Cavs book. I mean, maybe in style, but Horford's what six nine, six ten. Robert Williams is six eight. I mean, the Cavs are the Cavs are running out seven footers. I mean, I think sure, that, right. that's a little different, but I haven't watched enough Celtics to opine. I thought what Eli was saying was, look, the Jokics and the uh, and Beads of the world, they're gone fishing. It's still a small ball league. If you weren't saying that, sorry for getting us off on a rabbit trail. No, I mean, I kind of 
I'm not saying that because I think those guys are so transcendent and provide multiple facets of the game. Like they, you know, Jokic is one of the best passers in the league, position be damned. So it's not really fair to just consider him just as a big in my in my thinking too. So no, that's that's my my point is saying I think like if you're drafting at 14 you want to if you're going to swing for a player that has a better chance of making your team you know more modern it's probably with the wing or guard versus a big man. So Yeah, that's fair. And all I was trying to do was drop some shade on the Celtics because and it's as, really hard to do right now. As, I know, I know, really I know, good. I know, but I'm just, okay. That's great. I mean, they were supposed to be really good like 20 years ago and it's like, I'm glad they, yeah. Golf clap. You finally broke through, you know, what their asses, Tom, you know everyone else, everyone else got injured or became a head case or whatever. Um, so, I mean, it's fine. I think they're going to get, I think they're going to get stomped by the Warriors. I think they, I think they're going to beat the Warriors, but I've been I, wrong I with not, all my picks I do this not year. Think that. So. I think uh, I think the Warriors are out for blood, and I just I think they got lightning in a bottle. And I think I think the Mavericks were not a this bad of a team, and I think the Warriors are peaking at the right time, and I think they're going to dismantle the Celtics. Yeah, uh, you just made me sad, Tom. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I hate both these teams, so I, I'm I'm whatever. But you know, we're gonna take uh, one last break, and uh, we'll be right back with some lawnmower talk because I feel like we we have gone. <laughs> that's what they paid the for. That's what yeah. that's what the that's what the sponsors pay us for. <laughs> yeah, well, sponsored by Pauline and Scotts. <laughs> so in the break, Tom was talking about. Uh, oh, there goes Eli. Uh, Eli, Eli Kim has left us, and and Tom is gonna talk about the his love of the Warriors here. Oh, I hate <laughs> the Warriors. No, I'm just saying, I feel like it's personal. Um, you know, I think what I was saying to to Chris was, I don't ever remember a a legit dynasty being as disrespected as the Warriors were. Count me in as you know one of the at the at the front of that train, and now with Durant gone. Um, I think a lot of guys on that team are out to prove that, you know, they're some of the greatest players of all time. And, you know, we used to kind of talk about that. And then, you know, I think LeBron kind of set the record straight in 2016. And then you know, what's the what make of a 73 win team that adds Kevin Durant? You know, it's just sort of, I think from a legacy standpoint, um, you know, Steph Curry really didn't. I, I don't like him as a player. I mean, I think he did an admirable job uh, taking a back seat when all this was going on and trying to be a good teammate, at least on the court. I don't know what the heck was happening off the court. And so the last thing I was saying was when the Spurs lost to the Heat in 2013 in sort of heartbreaking fashion, I think it just it it there was like a fire in their belly that whole year. I think there's been a fire in Curry, Thompson, Draymond Green's belly now for a couple of years. And I still remember, and I was a little bit stunned and nervous, actually, because I'm an I'm a eternal pet sports pessimist, when once the, once the Spurs won the Western Conference Finals, 
someone put a microphone in front of Tim Duncan, and the Heat had already won, so we knew what the finals matchup would be. And Duncan was not a ever a showboating player, but the question was something like, how are you going to fare against the Heat? And he more or less said, like, we're going to get it done this time. Like, very matter-of-fact, like, we're going to win it. And I was sort of of like, whoa, like, are you you sure about that? Because you just lost in heartbreaking fashion. You're a year older, and we're talking about the Heatles over there. Like, I wasn't wasn't so sure. And Duncan was just like, he just looked in the camera. He's like, yeah, we're going to do it. And then he nodded. And then he was kind of like, I'm, I'm done with this interview. I'm ready to go prepare. And they just they just completely eviscerated him. I, I feel like sometimes emotion can take a good team and really make them a dominant team. And I feel like that's what we could be walking into with uh, Warriors Celtics. I think the Warriors may just completely blitz them. Gentlemen. Well, it, it's it's really interesting because you talked about how Robert Williams III was 6'9". Um, you know, in de facto center for, uh, well, point everything and, you know, defends four positions. Uh, Draymond Green's playing out of his mind right now. I'm seeing him make moves on offense and, and just control the ball on and control the game on both ends of the floor better than I've ever seen him do it. I mean, he was just really, really good tonight. Um, and, you know, Curry is Curry. Clay is, Feels like he's getting a little bit better every game. Um, and, you know, Poole is probably as good of a bench guard as they've ever had. Um, it, yeah, they're a really good team. Um, I, I think it's going to be a really interesting finals. I think they have also had a ridiculously easy, not easy, but the path, their path to the finals has not been as difficult as the West has been in many years. Um, whether that be injuries, whether it be teams getting older. Um, I, I actually think Phoenix was really set up well to play them. And, you know, we kind of went over what Phoenix's issues were last week, but I, I just think it's going to be really interesting finals. Um, I, I think it's going to end up being Boston because I didn't see anything from that last Miami game that made me think they could compete on any level, uh, in Boston with Boston. Um, they seem to have run out of competent wings and Boston seems to have too many. And, you know, that Derek White trade just, I mean, what a perfect player to bring off your bench and give you everything in terms of passing and defense and hustle. Um, great trade. Robert Williams, the third, getting him back has been the most important part of that series. We'll see if Tyler Hero can give uh, Miami anything, but they seem like a team relying on too many old guys and, you know, Bam has kind of been fed his underwear this uh, this series, so he's had basically one good game. So we'll yeah. see what happens there. Uh, Chris, anything to add on that whole? Yeah, I mean, uh, piggybacking off of what you guys are saying, yeah, what's interesting to me is that I I honestly believe Boston is the more talented team, but uh, going back to what Tom was saying, I just think – there is something they know legacy is on the line this this go around they have an opportunity to win this thing they're once they're four games away now and this is going to be ring number 4 for thompson steph and dre you know and that's going to equal lebron so i think as competitive guy you know all these guys are competitive psychos and i think that's really that 
that legacy is really driving the the um golden state to new heights and even even the ancillary players like pool pools playing probably for a max contract or near max contract i mean his emergence has just been insane and he, he might be a star in waiting for all we well know. and let's talk wiggins too is probably in the yep. perfect situation That's exactly for him. yep yeah, and, and Wiggins, he's in a perfect situation, and not just that, he's young in the prime of his career, and he's about to embark upon his second go-around in free agency where he could cash in, you know? So, uh, you know, I think he, there's just, it's a line, the stars are aligning for Golden State, kind of what Tom was alluding to. It's just interesting, though, with Boston, you know, they've they've had an interesting road. Like, they they <laughs> they took care of the Bucks. Um, they took care of, uh, Brooklyn, you know, they were seen, you know, this, it was seen as the, the hardest path by far out of the playoffs into the finals was, was the path that Boston's been on and, and they've been clearly the better team. So it's just interesting. Like, uh, I think what, I think what's going to make the difference, I think it's going to be a fantastic series. I'll give the edge to Golden State just because of experience. That's literally just it. It's, it's going back to what Tom said. I think it's just emotion, legacy, and experience it's going to drive them they're not necessarily the most talented team i think boston is the most talented team but they make a lot of mistakes you know they're a younger team they make mistakes but but golden state's turnovers they make a lot of mistakes too I sure mean, they play no really absolutely sloppy. yeah no that's why i think it'll be a good series it'll be a fascinating series because i think what will happen with boston is can they overcome their mistakes and kick it into a higher gear that's what I think they did against Miami is I think they found they've been able to find these higher levels and rise to the challenge every single time. So it'll be interesting to see because Golden State will be their toughest test by far because they're healthy and they're ready to go. Yeah. I, do you give Miami any shot of winning that series? No. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, nice. uh, is Tyler Hero back at all? I mean, like that yeah, was he's I mean, supposed to be back. Lowry is clearly forked. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just, Hero was the Hero was the wild card and if he's not even healthy and he if he can't play, I mean, they're just their offense is not I mean, they're not going to score 80 points. They're struggling to score 80 points. Yeah. They don't so, have enough shooting. Duncan yeah. Robinson, you want to talk about a wing that's probably gettable. It's Duncan Robinson. We talked <laughs> That's about your boy, isn't it? No, it's not. No, I'm, just, just, I'm messing. I'm messing. <laughs> yeah. I'm messing. Yeah, exactly. So, Tom you know, let's let's pivot away from the playoffs a little bit and let's get into a little on more talk because I know you have you said a twenty year leak. Yeah. Cause so I you know, just to give a little context here, I've been basically working on my house for like the last three, four, five months. Excuse me. And um I was telling Tom about this and I was like, I've had this toilet that a contractor replaced and it leaked into my basement like three different times and the contractor fixed it once swore it was fixed it kept leaking in there kept leaking in there one time i thought i was spraying out my garage uh and that water got over the firewall and was leaking down that's what it was and then i repainted it for the third time poked a hole in the ceiling from water damage and i'm like are you kidding me and and i i was like okay well now that i've got this pen light here Let's have my daughter go up and flush a toilet while I yell at her. And wouldn't you know, water starts coming down. I'm like, son of a. Yeah. So I got the guy back out, repaired it. And then I got to tell you what I fixed it with, Tom. 
So I did not want to do the drywall reframe, the whole thing you see on YouTube. I'm like, how do I just fix this like quarter size, maybe 50 cent piece size hole in my ceiling without having to, you know, do the whole, you know, cut out a big section, blah, blah, blah. I went to the Home Depot and I got myself some flex paste and um, I've seen the commercials. I had used it in another part of my house to fix a drywall spot that was right by the shower that I was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to put spackle there. It's just going to, so I did that. And then I'm like, I'm just going to grab a giant chunk of this and just shove it up in the ceiling and tape under it and hope it holds. And it did. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I got an as is offer. So I can say that on a, uh, on a podcast without, uh, and I disclosed it. So anyway. Um, yeah, so I, I'll tell this and then I gotta, I gotta bounce. But, um, so just about a year and a half, two years ago, we noted we're in our kitchen and we notice looks like there's a little mushroom like in the, in the corner underneath one of the cupboards. And I just thought, okay, so one of the kids picked a mushroom or something and brought it in the house. It was just a small mushroom. So I just like grabbed it and threw it out. And then like two days later, there's like another mushroom there. It, I gotta ask, it wasn't a death's head, was it? <laughs> I don't think so. No, because uh, Tom Tom like sent me a picture, like I don't know if it was last year or the year before. Oh like, yeah. No, I think this is were. a death's head mushroom in my those yard. Were. I think they were. Those were in the back. <laughs> These are really small. But there's another little small mushroom. And I'm like, this this is really weird. Why is it in the same spot? So now I get down on all fours and growing out of the trim is mold that's like basically spawning mushrooms that are big enough to put on a pizza so i'm like what in the world so i so i pull off the you know the piece of trim and it's all just like you know mold black mold and sure enough there's like mushrooms growing out of it so i'm like what in the world so now i'm thinking like there must have been, because I, I had put it in a new dishwasher six months before. Maybe I messed something up. You know, maybe there's like been a, a leak behind, you know, my sink that I just didn't know about. So I'm kind of like having a, you know, little mini panic attack. And then that ca- that cabinet, that base cabinet right there, I open it up. And this is where we put like our kids' dishes or whatever. And I put my hand on the, um, the, like the, the bottom, shelf and it's like wet and it like when i pick it up it it crumbles in my hand like a wet like graham cracker or something like that and i pull it out i look underneath it and and so by pulling that out i can see the subfloor black mold and wet so i'm just i'm like losing my mind right so call a uh like a company like a water damage company and um, they, I talked to them on the phone and they say, well, first thing is you have a leak, so you should get that fixed first. Like, you need to talk to a plumber first. So they gave me a name. So I called the plumber. So this guy comes out with his crew and they spent two hours trying to figure out where this was coming from. They went outside my house, turned on the hose and like sprayed the siding for 20 minutes. I mean, they tried everything. And we just couldn't get any water to drip down onto this moldy, uh, 
like a bar. They call it the bar, the two by four that goes um, horizontally into your subfloor. And um, finally, after like 20 minutes, there's a slow drip. And at first they thought it was coming from the outside, from spraying the water. It was just taking a while to get in there. But eventually we realized it was coming from the master shower. Because we had turned, because I had, I had actually said, "Hey, let me go turn on the shower and just let it run and see if that's what's doing it." Because we were having trouble, like, kind of controlling the variables, right? So, sure enough, that's what it is. And we finally realized, like, yep, somehow this is coming from your shower. And it was a slow drip. It was like, at its max, it was like one drop every two seconds. It wasn't like anything crazy. So it was a, you know, so the guy is kind of got one of these cameras like with the uh you know like the the fiber optic camera like that they use in the hostage situations in the movies where they slide it through the vent yeah like a scope like an endoscope and so he's (laughs) looking up there and he's like well he's like i don't really know why but your drain pipe comes down then it makes a 90 degree turn and goes over one one stud and then it goes back down i'm not sure why but he's like my guess is one of these joints is bad and the, you know, the cement's just bad or whatever. And he's like, tell you what, you know, he's like, if you cut out the drywall, if you remove, if you remove the upper cabinet and cut a hole in the drywall, he's like, I could get in there from above and replace that 90 degree coupler. And I'll charge you like 150 bucks. And I was like, okay, I'll call you once I do all that. And he's like, sounds good. So solid plumber. You got to respect that. Oh, yeah. So he leaves. I take off this cabinet and I notice something really weird. I notice that there's like 12 small holes in the in the drywall, like drill holes. And I kind of cock my head. I feel like this needs a a soundtrack. I kind of (laughs) cock my head to the side like, what is this? You know? And it looks to me like someone was woodpeckering for a stud because I've done this before in like my garage and stuff like that. What does that mean? Like you just you just poke a hole, hope you get a stud. Yeah. You just start drilling and going left or right until you feel resistance. And then you go, ah, there's my stud. You know, it's laziness, right? That's Um, how my wife and I met. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) So. So now I cut out the drywall, and wouldn't you know it, there's the two-inch PVC drain pipe from the shower, and there is not one, but two holes drilled into it. Are you... (laughs) Oh, man. Wow. Two small, like, eighth-inch holes drilled into it, wide enough that, you know, it's not a pressurized pipe, right? So it's not like going to be gushing but if you're taking a shower and the water and, and your pressure filled, yeah exactly it it'll it'll build up now is this this is a drain out. pipe right it's a drain pipe now thankfully it was shower not toilet yeah, it's all gray right. water baby you're right so so anyway um i was i was just stunned and i'm like you know we haven't lived in this house very long it's a 20 year old house and i'm thinking like i think these are the original cabinets so I call over my next door neighbor who's lived in the neighborhood the whole time and I show him and he's like, oh my gosh. He's like, 
that was put there in 2001. He's like, that's been, he's like, that's been like that for 20 years. You've got a 20-year leak that every time anyone's used a shower for the past 20 years, it has leaked down onto wow. the bar. And, you know, in the end, um, interestingly enough, it's like I did my own mitigation. So ripped out the bad wood dried it out stuck a heat lamp on, or not a heat lamp but like a, a halogen lamp on okay. it for a week i um, i used a lot of my 12 to 1500 watt space heater trying to got fix the, that got the, <laughs> dry got out the that mold, hole in my ceiling killed the mold and then i put a new i patched those holes with that um plumber's steel you know it's like a putty that you mix together and it it's like flex flex paste it's kind of like it. Yeah, it dries into like Plumber's a steel. steel. I got to check that out. That's, yeah. That I sounds... I forget what it's actually called. I feel like we need to be starting... Plumber's putty. No. Is it? I don't know. But we need hardens, to grunt like Tim Allen here. It, oh, it hunts... It, it hardens like a steel. And yeah, now it's just a it's just a funny story. But think about like... When people talk about evil in this world, <laughs> they they often forget that one of the seven deadly sins is sloth. And, like, if you're this guy hanging this cabinet, first of all, how do you not have a stud finder? Second of all, do you know how cheap it is to put metal plates over your PVC pipe so that these things don't happen? Third of all, why in God's name would you be, like, woodpeckering? Like, how did you not know there may be pipes going through this outer wall? It just, you know, but, and then, you know, it's like 20 years of evil festering in my walls because, <laughs> wow. because one, it, one, got, random, one random guy was so lazy, he couldn't just use a stud finder. It's or like Tom just, opened up a hole to the upside down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what it was like. Well, welcome to the 21st century where shoddy work is, is the standard. The standard, yeah. yep. So it's really interesting because real... Similarly, when I was doing work on my shower, I uh, I basically ruined the ceiling in my kitchen or my dining. Yeah, my kitchen, which is right below, because I I was went to clean out uh, the the drain, and I'm like, oh well, I'm just gonna take uh, the drain cover off so I can you know clean out the trap because I feel like water's backing up. I don't know why. Um, you know, maybe it just needs cleaned out, whatever I take. Uh, so I'm screwing this, unscrewing the cap on the, on the shower drain. I finally get the last screw out and I just hear the whole pipe go boom and just move four inches to the left. Like they had just elbow greased this PVC pipe that was probably about, you know, four feet long. They had just moved it. And bent it to fit that hole, and as soon as I removed the uh, the screws, it just moved over to the left. And then, of course, I've got water—a little bit of water that's in there—and it all just starts leaking down, and it's just a big giant mess. That You're trying it, to get the pipe, Nate? No, 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 no! no. Nice. You looking to get the pipe? You look nice. to get the pipe? Can we <laughs> yeah. please resurrect that? Uh, that uh, J.R. Smith, the uh, <laughs> foreman, 
on the on the sewer job picture for this. Ha! Yeah, exactly. Ooh, well, okay, okay. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it, it's just yeah, shoddy workmanship. So I ended up uh, having to redo my whole kitchen ceiling and the ceiling on the other side of my living room. And in my kitchen, it was I had to literally to fix it because there was no way to. I had to drill a hole in my ceiling, uh, like a six inch hole. Uh, with a hole saw just to move this back over because it was like, how the hell else am I going to do it? I can't push it back from the top. Um, so that was, that was fun. And so I ended up, uh, ship lapping my entire ceiling in my kitchen just to cover it up because it was cheaper than re drywalling and repainting the whole thing. So yeah. And that's the Nate, story of my kitchen ceiling by Nate Smith. Nate. I'm game for another two hours of this talk, but it's actually after midnight. And <laughs> yeah, we're at the one twenty-five mark. I'm turning into a pumpkin as we yeah. speak. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Tom, you got anything to pitch before we log off here? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, uh, I is got, it plumber's I got, putty? I got all kinds of things <laughs> to pitch. Um, let's see. Uh, well, I. I love the new Reacher on Amazon Prime. So. <laughs> Ooh. If anyone's looking for, oh, it is fun, hot. it is hot show. garbage. It is a horrible show that is eminently watchable. <laughs> I, I love nice. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, got, I got I got over the how, the horrible acting like right away, and I was like, yeah. Oh I'm yeah, no, gonna, it's I'm it's, just gonna enjoy this. It's just a fun ride. It's a guilty pleasure. It was great. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Nice. So my big pitch is for a movie I haven't seen yet that I'm super excited to see. The one of a movie that literally changed my life. First of all, the soundtrack to this movie was the first secular album I owned. And that was Top Gun. Um, wow. Yes. I'm going to see it tomorrow. I, I oh, want to wow. see it so bad. Top Gun Maverick. I'm, no spoilers, to Tom. Tomorrow. I've heard I it's won't. awesome. I am fully embracing lunatic Tom Cruise and just um, I yep. want to see this movie so bad. Oh, uh, I um, we if if America ever need I mean America needs toxic masculinity in the it's form now. of fighter pilots more than ever and I'm a- so and, excited and, <laughs> and pump it in my veins. Oh, toxic masculinity and homosexual subtext. I am <laughs> so here for it. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I'm going to send that, this missile wait, but, straight up your tailpipe. <laughs> but but you know what though? Back to that was an amazing soundtrack. I had that soundtrack as well. And everyone remembers Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. Oh yeah, but tune. Yeah. But there's some other great ones on there. Mighty Wings by Cheap Trick. That is an awesome 80s song. It does not get enough play. Playing with the boys. Playing with the boys. The, yeah. the oil, the greased up uh, volleyball soundtrack. And you got and Berlin. Course, Berlin, take my breath away. And then, of course, you've got the uh, you've got the, the, the main theme. Uh, Harold, what's the guy's name? What was that guy's name? I don't um, know, but all I know is when I walked out of um, Top Gun when I was however old I was, I sat and played Space Harrier in the arcade at the movie theater. One quarter I played for an hour and a half. I must. Harold Faltermeyer. Harold Faltermeyer. Is he it. still alive? hope so yeah i don't know just because that other composer you were telling me about he's german yep yeah the blade runner guy just died 
So. I know, Vangelis. I know. Me and EG were talking about it. I'm a huge Vangelis fan. Rest <laughs> in peace. R.I.P. Vangelis. So, yeah, that's my pitch. I'm going to go see uh, the new Top Gun. And I don't know if I... Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, Flex Paste. Those are my those are my two pitches. You know, I bet you that the uh, Navy has used flex paste to fix holes in jet engines or jet aircraft before. So that's oh, a good probably. that's a good dual pitch. There you go. Nice. Uh, Chris, what do you got to pitch? Uh, Eli and me are working on a draft board. It'll be coming soon. So <laughs> there you go. Well, there you go. and Eli did. Are we going to do a mock draft? I feel like we need to do Ooh, a CTB mock draft. We might have to. Let's do it. We might have yeah. to. So yeah, that's a great idea. Good, good call. Good, good call. call. Oh, and uh, yeah, and as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. There's a fire. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.